word of God that comes to us today is from Jesus, who says, Rejoice! And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then he said, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to all of you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is risen! He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Doesn't that sound good? It sounds really good. So the question we have today is, since that sounds so good, is it true? And if it is true, how good is it for us? So that's what we'll look at just briefly. Is it true that Christ is risen? And if it, it is true, so what? How does that change us? Well, I want you to look at your, uh, your gospel reading from Matthew. From everything we know of Matthew, he is an eyewitness of Jesus. He was, uh, as we might call, the IRS of his day. Uh, independent Roman scum. He was sifting off taxes and betraying his countrymen, but Jesus said, come and follow me. And for three years, Matthew or Levi did that. And he learned of Jesus, and from everything we know, he is telling us his account of what happened in Jesus' life. And that's what we have in front of us, Matthew chapter 28. And so today, what I want to propose to you is answer those two questions. Is it true? And I want to show you four things from what Matthew tells us that makes it believable. And then I want to show you, I want to answer the question, well, so what? And I'll show you three things. So I'll try to be brief in all of these. Uh, so how do we know it's true? Well, four things, they all start with an S. The first one is sisters. Who does Jesus show up to? The men who are powerful, right? Who would be believable. No, he shows up to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, he shows up to women. We see this right off after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And that's, that's who are the first ones to see, Mary Magdalene, someone who would be an outcast in our world. That's who the angels first speaks to. Right? And then we have the whole story with the soldiers. Verse 2, uh, this is probably as Mary and the other Mary are on the way to the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And I think the angel said something like this. Nana, nana, boo, boo. The angel is there glowing, and he's sitting on the rock that he rolled away, not so that Jesus could come out, but so that people could see that he had gone out. So there's the angel, and it tells us about the guards, how they're afraid, and they pass out. And then the, the women get there, verse 5. The angel said to the women, don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who's crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Go and tell his disciples. The first people who hear this are the women, our sisters. And they're told to go and tell. And we see in a moment that Jesus also shows up to them, not just an angel. Now, you might not think this is a big deal because in our culture, thank God, women can testify in court. Women are believable. Women are equal with men in every way. At least we try to be, become that way. In this culture, it was not so. In this culture, it would be like for us if there was, you know, uh, a criminal case. Would you call in a, a three-year-old to bear witness? No, of course not. Rightly so. In those days, would you call in a woman to bear witness? No, you wouldn't. Not because you shouldn't have, but they didn't. That's how they looked at women in those days. Thank God that has changed. But uh, Matthew, my point is this. Matthew and Jesus 
would not have shown up to these women to be the first witnesses unless it was true. If Matthew was writing propaganda, he would have left this part out. Why does he write it? Because it's what happened, right? So that's the first S. He shows up to the sisters. The second one is the soldiers. Here, when we read about the soldiers, I'll just read some of it. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled, that is, okay, let me back up. So the guard wakes up. What do they experience? What have they known so far? Well, first off, there was a big boom and a flash of light, and they had problems and passed out. That's what they know. And when they woke up, they see the tomb, the door is rolled off, and there's no Jesus there. They're afraid for their lives because their job is to keep this thing safe and secure. That's what they know. They run back into town and they tell the chief priests, look, uh, this is what happened. And the chief priests come up with this story, and this is what they're bought off to say. Verse 13, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if it comes to the governor's ears, we'll bribe him, basically. Uh, and that story is circulating among us to this day, Matthew tells us. So have you ever prayed with kids? Anybody? Yeah, you probably, you may have. You get to the end, and if you have more than one, one child, you get to the end and you say, in Jesus' name, amen. You open your eyes, and then one kid points across the table and says, so-and-so had their eyes open. You ever do that? And you wonder to yourself, well, how did you know their eyes were open? I think your eyes must have been open, right? But they can't see the logic in that. They just know their eyes were open. It's almost like the opposite of that is happening here, right? Uh, here, they're told to tell this story that the guards fell asleep, right? Their eyes are closed. And while they're sleeping, they see the disciples steal the body of Jesus away. Does it work that way? No. So Matthew's okay with telling us the counter-argument that would destroy the whole uh, case for the resurrection. Here's what they're telling you. Do you believe it? So he puts it in here on purpose uh, so that we might know that we shouldn't believe that story. Matthew is an eyewitness. So he starts with his sisters. He talks about the soldiers. Now he's going to talk about people like us, strugglers. I don't know if you believe in what we said that Jesus is risen, but you would probably believe if Jesus showed up to you, right? In a flash of glory, a back from the dead. Would that erase all your struggles? Would it? Yeah, if Jesus showed up to you, you'd be like, okay, now, now I get it. My struggles are over, I believe. All this stuff that was so hard to know, now I know, right? Definitely. And if you were making up a story about Jesus showing up to people, you would say, they believed, they saw him, and they had great strong faith. But that's not what Matthew tells us. Take a look at verse 16. In your bulletin, the gospel reading says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But what? Some doubted. Why would Matthew include this? If this was propaganda, he would not have included this. Why does he include it? Because it's true. Because he is an eyewitness and probably he's writing about himself. Probably he saw Jesus and yet in some ways worshipped him, but in some other ways still doubted. 
So this, to me, is good evidence that this is an eyewitness telling us the truth. Take it for what it is. I think it's good evidence. So we have evidence about sisters, soldiers, strugglers. And last, it's not really in the text, but it's an outflow. It's, it's success. At the very end, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And that seems like a pretty tall task. Jesus has spent three years. This is Jesus himself. He spent three years. How many disciples does he have? He's got 12, one fell away. He has 11. And then as we keep reading, there's maybe 70. Six weeks later, there's about 70 disciples of Jesus. That's not, that's about, look around. It's about the number of people here. This is it. This is all of us. This is all the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus says to us, make disciples of everybody. Okay. Uh, where do we start, right? And this is a bunch of fishermen, um, retired um, tax collectors, a former militiaman. There's not a whole lot to work with here. Just a bunch of regular guys. They don't have a publishing house. They don't have political offices. They don't have anything except what we think they have is Jesus. Jesus said, I am with you always. So his resurrection, it had a huge success. Um, historians kind of wonder, like, how did this happen uh, from 12 or 70 disciples of Jesus? Within a couple of hundred years, even a hundred years, there are Christians everywhere. Most of the Roman Empire is now saying that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. How? How is it that they loved people so much that they uh, were so generous that they included men, women, Greeks, Jews, Romans, uh, slaves, uh, wealthy people? How did they do that? It wasn't just them, right? There is no explanation. Historians will write about this and say, there must have been some sort of power that helped them do this. And we say, amen, there was a power that helped them do this. Risen Jesus. All right, so those are four reasons that I, from our text and flowing out of it, that helps us know that we can believe. So sisters, soldiers, strugglers, and the success of the mission. All right. So what? Anyone here believe that uh, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon? Well, five of you. Okay. All right. I think it happened, right? There is evidence, of course, there's conspiracy theories that say, no, it was all just done in a Hollywood um, a theater or whatever, right? There's those reasons against it, but most of us say, yeah, that happened. It was really cool. And then that's it. Does Neil Armstrong walking on the moon change your life? Do you think about it on a daily basis? You get out of the morning and meditate on it, right? No, it means it's cool. Wow, but it doesn't mean a whole lot. I would argue or want to communicate that the, God, the resurrection of Jesus is the exact opposite. It's a little harder to believe for us modern people, but if we believe God exists, he can do this. If it's true, so what? So I want to share three things with you that I think change our lives on an everyday basis. And since I'm a preacher, um, at least now, later in my life, I'm going to use three letter, words that start with the letter P. All right, so I'll just tell them to you right now in case you forget. Uh, pardon, peace, and power. All right? I don't know where I got that. Maybe I stole that from somewhere. But I think they show up here. Uh, first one is pardon. Jesus shows up. 
And who does he show up to? Mary Magdalene. I told you she is sort of an outcast. She, in our culture, she would be a hippie, a druggie, a dropout, whatever. That's who Jesus chose to first tell this to. Now, we didn't read it, but there's two stories of, of an announcement to uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The first one was the angel. The second one, look in your bulletin. This is verse, uh, verse 8 and 9. They ran out to tell his disciples, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Uh, by the way, that's a really bad translation. That's the same word, rejoice in the Lord always. It, I think on this morning, Jesus is not saying hi. He's saying rejoice, right? He is. So he says to them, rejoice. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they'll see me. This is the same message of the angel, except for one thing. The angel said, go and tell his disciples that he's risen. Right? Now he shows up and says, go tell my brothers. These are the guys who last time they saw Jesus said, I don't know him. They ran away from Jesus. They disowned him. They haven't done a whole lot of good sense. And I think this title, this new name for them, brothers, is a word of forgiveness. It's a word of pardon. And that's the word for us. Pretty sure all of us have denied knowing Jesus in some way, right? Even maybe today or our whole lives are wrapped up in um, denying Jesus in some way. But he comes to us and says, go tell my sisters, go tell my brothers. He includes us back before we even have a chance to start going to him. Right? That's the beautiful pardon that we have in Jesus. Here's the good news of, of Easter. God is not mad at the world. God is not mad at the world. Now, is there wrath? Yes. Is there justice? Yes. But that has been taken care of by Jesus. Uh, just a quick example of this um, pardon that we have. Um, a while ago, I went on a family reunion. This was Hershey, but pretend it's Darien Lake. You're all going, everyone in your extended family, cousins you don't even know, and you're all going. Someone in your family has you know, got a stack of tickets, and they're at the gate just passing them out. They're all paid for. Full day admission, all the food you can eat. It's going to be great. The only ones there is your family. Wow, it's going to be awesome. Right? And they're at the gate passing them out. Love you. Have fun. I'll see you in a little bit. And um, that's the gospel. That's Easter. You all are forgiven. Here's your way in. And God is not mad at anyone. He wants all to come, and there it's already done. The problem is, some of us are tempted to skirt around the back of Darien Lake and climb up over the top and try to get in that way without a ticket. That's what God is upset about. Forgiveness and pardon is for everybody. You just got to receive it, right? Here, I'll take that ticket. Thank you. All right, so pardon. The first, second one is peace. Uh, that he gives. Because of Jesus is raised, we have peace. Uh, take a look at what the women do. They see Jesus and they hear him say, rejoice. They take hold of his feet and worship him. They have a peace that is passing understanding. Think of Jesus' feet for a moment. What would they have looked like? What would have been different about his feet? They're pierced, right? Healed, but pierced. It even says in heaven that you can see the wounds of Jesus. I like to say it's the only thing that's not perfect in heaven are the wounds of Jesus. So they see his pierced feet and they worship him. This is uh, 
This, this is peace that is beyond what was ever normal, uh, beyond what we would normally experience. It's intimacy with God. Just to, just to do a big backtrack for a moment. In the Old Testament, there was this agreement between God through Moses, um, the Ten Commandments, and his people. They, they said, yeah, we'll do it, we'll do it. And so this agreement, they were ratifying this agreement. And a few special people in Israel, 70 elders, it says they went up on the mountain with Moses. And it says that they worshipped God from afar. I don't know how far. Far enough to not get destroyed by God. And it says that they saw, the, they saw God. And his feet, it says, his feet were on something like a, a, a pavement of sapphire. Something that we can't understand. But it, it says it mentions his feet. They could not see God. Here in the New Testament, in Jesus, we have more than just a glimpse of his feet. We, ha- we get to worship God not from afar. We are brought into the very presence of God every day. All right, I'll, I'll keep rolling here. Um, the last thing, we have pardon because of Jesus. We have peace because of Jesus. Oh, by the way, the angels, the, the translation that says, you've come to see Jesus who was crucified. In, in Greek, it says Jesus who is crucified. He is always crucified for us. He is the one that draws us in. And lastly, purpose. Jesus comes and revolutionizes our purpose in life. On ourselves, we would live for a lot of different things, but Jesus gives us the ultimate purpose. And that is, look, take a look at the end. It says, we read it already in brief, verse 19 Jesus says, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think for a moment, he was like the prime minister. Like there's the king, the father, and then the prime minister sits at the right hand, and he's the one that carries out all the things in the government. He does it. Now think about Jesus. What does he do as the quote-unquote prime minister? This is what he does. He wants more. He wants more people to be his disciples, his brothers. And then how does that happen? He says, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to cherish everything I've given them. So just to quick wrap this up, Jesus has, is the king. He has all authority. He has risen from the dead. And what does he do with that authority? He brings more in. And he washes them. That's what baptism is. I know a lot of you like the story, um, Toy Story, or the, the movie Toy Story. Right? I love this because uh, you think of Woody, uh, sort of, he gets lost, gets in all these adventures, but what is Woody's redemption? It's, it's what's on the bottom of his shoe. What's on the bottom of his shoe? Andy. Andy's name is on Woody. And that's what baptism is. I have all authority. What do I do? Jesus says, I wash and I put my name on you. That means you are mine forever. And because of that, you can cherish everything I give you. And I will be with you at, until the end of the age. I'll be with you at the end of your age. I'll be with you always at the end of your rope. When this world ends, Jesus is there. And so, brothers and sisters, the saints of God, those who believe in Jesus, uh, can you believe this? Yes. And it, since you believe it, is it any good? Yes. You receive pardon, peace, and purpose forever. Christ is risen. 
Hallelujah.